0: Open your Bibles with me uh, to the book of Hebrews. We're going to wrap up our our time and series on sacrifice. And if you haven't been with us, we've been uh, reading and studying and and hearing from the Lord about what sacrifice means, whether that's a, a New Testament concept at all. And if it is, how does it fit? You hear the word sacrifice a lot. We talk about it. uh, And a lot of believers get confused about what that is because you think back to the Old Testament. There were many different types of sacrifices. And the sacrifices you're most familiar with likely are the blood sacrifices, which were offered for sin, for guilt, for atonement. In fact, those were the three that the Bible mentions. A sin offering, a guilt offering, and an an offering of atonement. All of these sacrifices, if you're unaware, you begin to think that here in the new covenant on this side of the cross, that that's part of your life. And you've got to know every offering for sin, every sacrifice for sin has been once and for all taken care of in Jesus Christ. In fact, it's not good for you to think, yeah, but let me add to that. Well, the minute you start start trying to add to perfection, you take away from perfection. Isn't that right? If you say, boy, this water couldn't be any more pure. This is the purest water I've ever drank. Let me make it purer. If it's 100% pure, you can't make it purer. And any attempt to make it purer makes it less pure. So when we try to add to the cross... We try to add to what Jesus did. We try to add to the sacrifice. We can't do that. There is, there is now, once and for all, a perfect sacrifice for sin. But the New Testament is full of examples of sacrifice that are not for sin, but they are to please God. Your life is a sacrifice. The Bible says that God wants us, in light of his mercies, to be living sacrifices. It says this is our spiritual service of worship. This is, this is expected. That God's people would put their life on the altar and say, we are sacrifices to God and he's pleased with this sacrifice. Throughout the New Testament, it talks about, it doesn't just talk about sacrifice, it talks about the idea of a sacrifice that's pleasing. Now, I think there's something we just need to make clear right now. Right now, that through Jesus, you've been made acceptable to God. Is that good? Someday you're going to stand before the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He's going to look, and he's going to look at you and say, righteous. You're going to say, well, kind of righteous. There's no such thing as kind of righteous. There's no such thing as pretty righteous or almost righteous or mostly righteous. It's like pregnant. It's a binary state. You're not like kind of pregnant. You are pregnant. Right? You either are or you aren't. You're either righteous or you're not. You can't be kind of righteous. You can't be mostly righteous. And you know, before Jesus died, none of us were counted righteous on our own deed. Now, there were men in the Old Testament, men and women in the Old Testament, who were counted righteous because of their faith, because they looked forward and their faith reached out and, and took hold of what Jesus would do. But there was no, no one righteous, no not one, the Scripture says. And so, you, you, you know, we're going to stand before the King of Kings, and he's going to judge us righteous because of Jesus. That's a good thing. So you are pleasing to God through Jesus Christ. You are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are good because of Jesus Christ. Your goodness is found in him. Now, here's the deal. Just because you're acceptable to God doesn't mean everything we do is acceptable to God. You know that, right? God loves you. He doesn't love everything you do. He doesn't love everything I do. Oh, but I thought I was his precious little snowflake and everything I do is perfect. Well, no. If I go out in the lobby today after service and start punching a guy in the face, Jesus isn't going to say, hmm, or God's not going to look at me and go, well, I love you, so I love that. No, that's not pleasing to God, is it? How many of you know that we were saved not just from something, but we were saved to something? So thank God we're going to heaven. Praise the Lord for, for that life that, that when this body stops, that life goes on. I'm thankful for that. That is, that is the most amazing thing I can think about is that we get to spend eternity with him. But eternity doesn't start later. It's already here. Isn't that right? It's not eternity. It's not eternity if it hasn't started yet. So here's the deal. We have life now. The life we live is, the Bible doesn't say the life we live, we live so that someday when we die, we go to heaven. It says the life we live, we live by faith in the Son of God. Your life right now, there's a reason you're still here. There's a reason that you didn't get raptured the moment you prayed a prayer. Because God has a mission for us right here. We want to be pleasing to him on this earth. We want our actions, we want our lives to please him, to rise as a sweet-smelling incense to him. We want our lives to speak. We want our lives to bless the Lord. We want our lives to glorify God. Thank God for it, isn't it? We've been changed. We've been renewed. You know, here's the deal. In the Old Testament, people had the Holy Spirit come on them so that they could prophesy. Come on them So that they could see miracles. But no one had the Holy Spirit live in them. Jesus came and died for us and cleansed our spirit. Gave us a new spirit. So we have a clean spirit. Only a clean spirit can house the Holy Spirit. Only a clean spirit can house the Holy Spirit. And you might say, well, boy, I don't feel clean. Your spirit is. Now, your soul, we wash that by the renewing and the, the water of the word. My flesh still needs to get in line, but your spirit has been made new through Jesus Christ. You, 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 that work is done. That's why the Holy Spirit is not, we, you know, we, can't, we don't say like King David said, Lord, don't take your spirit from me. Because in the new covenant, he says he's given his spirit as a pledge of our adoption. Which means if the Holy Spirit came in and out, and, and, and just one day was there and the next day wasn't, that would mean you were a son or a daughter and then you weren't. Then you were a son or a daughter and you weren't. And that's not the case. That spirit is a pledge to us. Now, boy, that changes the way you think about things. Now, I've certainly said, you know, I've, I've noticed a difference in whether, the, whether I felt I carried the anointing depending on what I was doing, depending on my heart. But the Holy Spirit didn't leave. That changes things when you're watching a movie and you realize the Holy Spirit's still there. And you wish He'd leave the room, but He's still there. That's why we don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. Because it is a Holy Spirit. Living, a Holy Spirit living in a Holy Spirit, made holy because of Jesus Christ. So, because of that, what we offer from the Spirit. It, it, I mean, it's 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 the fruit of that. So the fruit of a Holy Spirit is something holy coming out of your life. Is something good coming into your life? That's why the fruit of the Spirit. It doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit, does it? it says the fruit of the Spirit. All of those things are fruit of the Spirit in your life. Fruit of a regenerated spirit, fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. All these things are fruit from a cleaned up, holy, new spirit in which the Holy Spirit of God has come to dwell. Those things are naturally flowing. But there's, there's the other part of it, which is, and if you read that section in Galatians, it doesn't start with the fruit of the spirit, does it? It starts with an instruction for you to not walk by the flesh, but walk by the Spirit. So because you have the Holy Spirit, you are able to walk by the Spirit, but you still can walk by your flesh, right? And he tells you, here's how you know if you're walking by your flesh. The fruit of the flesh are evident. And he talks about jealousy and bitterness and strife and anger, all the things. If you notice in your life, you got conflict with everyone. And I'm not talking about the conflict that Jesus had. Listen, Jesus, people didn't like him but he did nothing wrong. The Bible says, it, as, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone. But if you notice that you're mad at people all the time, if you notice that you're, you're bitter at people, you're resentful, this is a fruit of the flesh. This is, this is the canary in the mind that says, you're not living by the Spirit. Because the fruit, when you're living by the Spirit, is that love, that joy, that peace, patience. And, and most of those, if you've noticed... Most of those things don't happen just in your alone time. Long suffering. Guys, when I'm just me and Jesus, I don't really have to be long suffering. The Lord doesn't try my patience, right? Now, some of you are going, maybe He does for me. Well, I don't know. What kind of relationship do you have with God? I don't know. I don't feel challenged to be gentle by myself. That's easy. It's when I'm around people that I need to be gentle. It's when I'm around people that i gotta be love, it's got to be long-suffering. It's when I'm around people that i got to be patient. There's, it's around people that you've got you to say, I need love right now. I need some joy. I need some peace right now. It's, it's in the circumstance of life. When you're walking by the Spirit, these things should come out. Now listen, everything that comes out of the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, by faith, is pleasing to God. Whatever comes out of the flesh is not pleasing to God. That's easy, right? It's easy in theory. Right here on Sunday morning while we're talking about it, that's the easiest thing. It's easy as pie. We just, Let's just go home. We're, we're done. We finished it. We, we solved it. It's in the walking it out, isn't it? I want to read you something from Hebrews. Hebrews 11. I'm going to ask an honest question that I want an honest answer. I don't want you to answer out loud, but you want you to honestly think about it. What are you doing? What sacrifices are coming from your life that are pleasing to God? And the follow-up question is, how do you know they're pleasing to God? So we should be able to answer the first question. What sacrifices am I offering to the king? You know, here's a good thing. God blesses the sacrifice. Fire falls on sacrifice. There is this, is, this is God's entry into your life. Listen, uh, Brother Mark Davey was, uh, said, something to, said something at the conference I was just at, and I thought it was brilliant. I hadn't thought of it before, and I felt dumb for not thinking of it, but we all feel that way every now and then, right? He said, uh, when, he, he brought up the point when Elijah and the prophets of Baal, he was just taking up an offering, but I got a lot out of it. He said, when the Elijah and the prophets of Baal came together for the big showdown, and they prepared their altars. You remember that the prophets of Baal prepared their, off, their altar so that it would be maximized for being lit on fire, right? Like, let's dry sticks, let's make sure it's right. And no fire fell on their sacrifice. But when Elijah said, uh, this is the sacrifice we are doing, he, he, he made a sacrifice, first of all, according to the commandment of God, what a sacrifice should look like. Then he said, surround Build a moat and surround the altar with water. Now, here's the thing. Here's what I always thought. This was just so God could, like, show a bigger miracle because the fire licked up the water, right? But wait a minute. Fire falling from the sky on command probably doesn't need any souping up, right? You're not like, well, fire came from the sky the moment you said so and fell right on that spot, lit the whole thing on fire. But could you add a couple special effects to that? I'm not convinced yet. No, nobody's thinking that. But what I hadn't considered, and I thought I was thankful for Brother Mark bringing this out, was that for three years, they hadn't had rain. What's the most valuable thing to them? Water. Water. Where in the world did they get water? They put the most valuable thing they had around the sacrifice. Most valuable thing they had. Now, listen, they were already starving. They're having to pick whether I want to eat my horse or whether I want to eat my cow. They put that on the altar. Then they put water. The thing they'd done without for three years, over three years. What happened after that sacrifice? Rain came. You know, often it's the thing we don't want to let go of. That is God's entry point to bless you in that very area. If we'd be willing to trust him with it. God blesses sacrifice. He honors sacrifice. He's pleased by sacrifice. And he's not pleased by sacrifice for the reason that some people think he is. Some people think he just wants to see if you'll suffer for him. He just wants to see you hurt a little bit. But our God is eternally loving. He takes no pleasure in your pain. It's about the fact that when I give something, my heart goes with it. So like I said last week, if I were to give my wife a bunch of coupons we got in the mail for for fast food restaurants around town, Right? It not only does it not show love, but my love is not strengthened by that. My heart's not in that. It doesn't just show my heart, it shifts my heart. When you invest in someone, when you invest in something, when you invest, your heart goes with it. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So really, God's not after a bunch of charred meat. God's not after a bunch of good deeds. God's after you. And he wants you and he wants your heart. Nevertheless, he'll use our sacrifice. And I want you to see this in Hebrews 11. Of course, verse 1 is, is a foundational scripture that many of us have read more times than we can remember. But it says Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of the evidence of things not seen. For by it the men of old gained approval. Listen to that. By what? By faith, the men of old gained approval. Doesn't say they did all the things right. Doesn't say they got all their ducks in a row, but by faith, they gained approval from God. Now, listen, we said it's by faith in Jesus that we gain approval from God. Isn't that right? But what about what we do? goes on and it says this. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what was seen, what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he's dead, he still speaks. I want us to take some time and think about what that means. By faith, Abel... By faith, Abel obtained a testimony about what he gave. By faith, Abel, uh, it says, offered a better sacrifice than Cain. Now, many people in the world would not judge two sacrifices. By faith, they would judge two sacrifices by which one looks better, right? That's how the world looks at it. And this is, unfortunately, this is how we look at each other many times. We say, oh, that person is doing so much more for God than me. Why? You're looking at the surface they seem to be doing more. And while I admit that this is not all somewhere up in the air, well, God knows my heart. Your heart bleeds into your actions. You could kind of find out someone's heart after a while by watching them. At the same time, we can't judge like the world judges. In fact, we probably should get out of the judgment business most of the time. But here's what it says that Abel's sacrifice was better, not because it looked better, not because it tasted better, not because it was bigger, but because it was given by faith. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. Isn't that amazing? The first child born outside of the garden was Cain. You know what his name means in Hebrew? Got it. This is Eve's first kid. Come on, give her a break. <laughs> she had no idea what this thing's going to look like. Come on. They had never seen a baby before. She's pregnant. Something's going to come out. My belly's getting bigger. I don't know. I'm starting to feel weird. I have to go to the bathroom more. Baby comes out. Got it. Right? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it was, maybe it was Adam that, that said that. I got it. Got <laughs> it. <laughs> thank God. So there's a name for your kids, all right? Got it. Cain and Abel were the first kids born outside the garden, first kids born into sin. What was taught to them by their parents likely was the story. You know, the Bible says if we went back to Genesis, and we will in a minute, but it says at At the fullness of the times, they went to offer their sacrifices. That means there was a set time for them to offer a sacrifice. Now, this was an offering for sin. They weren't just picking a day. This was a special time that God had set aside. I want you to think, what's the first death that happened on the earth? Not human death, but what's the first death? It was when God killed an animal to give them skins to clothe himself with. Now, the Bible tells us that Adam and Eve had already been kind of MacGyver on the spot and found some leaves. It didn't occur to them to kill one of these animals. These animals that they love, these animals that they named, it never, never occurred to them to kill that. They covered themselves with leaves. But what did God do? God killed an animal. And the reason he killed an animal is not because leather feels better than, you know, leaves, although it does. You don't need to test that theory. Just trust me. Uh-huh. I don't know, we're moving, it's 2016, I'm sure somebody is wearing leaf underwear in the world today, but it just might not be here, thank God. But God gave them these animal skins because blood had to be shed for the remission of sins. It was a picture of Jesus giving his life for us. So... Through that, we understand that God instituted, even before Moses, even before Abraham, God had instituted a a ritual where they came and offered sacrifice from the blood of animals because what does the Bible say? Without blood, there's no remission of sins. It is an image, a picture of Jesus covering our and taking away our sins because what does the Bible say? The wages of sin is death, right? But the gift of God is eternal life. So, so. When there's sin and sin separates us, the only thing that can cover that is death. Thank God now that Jesus has come. Death no longer has a a hold on us. We no longer owe a debt to death. Thank God nobody has to die here. Because Jesus has taken your death once and for all, including your animals. They don't have to die for your sin. Thank God for that. I'm sure there's some goats over at various ranches around Lloyd Mister saying, Thank God that Jesus came. Right? Maybe not. I'm overestimating their intelligence. I'm sorry. I watched a lot of cartoons growing up. They seemed smart then. So, Adam and Eve learn that it takes animal sacrifice to cover sin. So God says to them, we're assuming, because the Bible doesn't tell us this, but it tells us at a certain time they went to offer sacrifices. We can assume that they learned offer an animal to God. We don't know why, but just do it. Let's look in Genesis. Abel's name, by the way, means breath. Not, not the ruah, breath, which we associate with spirit, but just breath like, like the scripture would say, isn't life like a breath, it passes. Could be that Adam and Eve were beginning to realize that because of the curse, because of sin, life was now very short. I don't know, but they named Abel breath. Turns out his life was short, and it's just not for a good reason. Cain and Abel, and this is Genesis chapter 4. Verse 1 says, The man had relations with his wife Eve. She conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. I got it. (laughs) Got one. And again, she gave birth to his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. You need both, don't you? You need both. That's great. Nothing wrong with Cain's chosen occupation. That's good. This is sacrifice that had an issue. It says, so it came about in the course of time, and that's where it says in the Hebrew, in the fullness of time. So we can assume from that, we can infer from that that it's talking about a certain time that they were supposed to bring sacrifices. It was that time of the year or whatever. That they brought an offering to the Lord. Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Now, there's nothing wrong with him sacrificing what he has. The only problem is he's not doing it in obedience to God. He's got a better idea than God. God said, I I need you to offer these animals. Cain says, this is what I got. It's good enough. It'll work. God will take it. How many of you know that and I hope we all say this, but how many of us know that we know a lot less than God? Yeah. Right? And, and, and so many times we wait, God, explain it to me and I'll do it. If our kids did that, they'd probably be dead by now if they just waited for an explanation all the time. Sometimes you got to say, get out of the road. Why? Just get out of the road. I'll tell you later. And you save their life. Don't drink that. Why? It tastes, It's bleach. Don't drink that. Right, This is common sense to us, but not to them. There are things that God knows that we don't know, and we can't live life just saying, well, I, if this makes sense to me, and God, if you explain it to me, I'll do it your way. Why don't you just do it his way because he's God? That's right. And let's just settle from the beginning. He knows more than we do, and he loves us. God's not a great prankster in the sky. He loves you. So anything he tells you, it's because he loves you. But Cain, what could he have done? He could have easily taken the fruit of the ground, taken it to Abel and said, let's make a trade. I need an offering for the Lord. I give you what I have, you give me one of those. Do you think Abel would have turned him down? No. But he didn't. He had a better idea. You see, faith and obedience go hand in hand. Obedience comes from faith. Right? We're talking about trusting God when you don't know why you're trusting God. Right? We're talking about trusting God when you don't understand why he told you to do it that way. That's why obedience is evidence of faith. Because when you obey God and you don't get it, you're saying this, I trust you. I trust you. I don't know why you said that, but I know you're right and you're good and you love me. And so I'm going to say yes. Not because it makes sense, but because you said so. I mean, how many times in our life have we done something that didn't make sense, but we knew it was God, so you just did it. Oh, you'll be blessed if you live life that way. You'll be so blessed if you live life that way. Hey, you'll have challenges too. But thank God, he's with you. And when you do it his way, thank God, there's not a challenge in the world that you can't overcome. He says, Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. It was not what God told him to do. But Abel on his part, also brought of the first things of his flock and of their fat portions, which is what God had said. I want the fat ones. I want the best ones. Abel brought the best of what he had. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desires for you, but you must master it. Now, this could be a confusing section of Scripture until you understand this. God loved Cain. Abel wasn't his favorite. God loved them both. So what's God doing in this moment? He's saying, Bud, you made a mistake, but you can fix it. You can fix this. What does he say? He didn't say, You messed up, Cain. Too late. No, there's no chance. What did he say? You can do this. If you go back and do the right thing, won't you be happy? He said, Look, obviously, you know right now, your heart is witnessing to the fact that, that what you did was not in faith, that it's not pleasing. So, what is God saying? Hey, if you go back and do the right thing, it'll be better. Yeah. Thank God, God is a God of mercy. Yes. I've had this conversation with God. Have you? Where I say, God, oh man, I thought this would work out, and I blame you for this. And He says, Well, I didn't tell you to do that, but guess what? Go back and do it. Things will be better. God says, If you if you go back and do it right, won't your countenance be lifted up? Won't you be happier? He says, if you don't do well, sin is crouching at the door. See, God is, is warning Cain. Cain, this is a moment for you. This is a kairos moment. This is a serious moment. This is your moment to say no to sin and yes to me. This is a moment to realize there's sin crouching at your door. Guys, thank God. God speaks to us before the sin and not just after. And it gives, the Bible says, with every temptation, he gives you a way of escape. God is a God who gives you a way of escape. You might think you had no way out, but you have a way out. Even right now, today, this morning, if you came in this room, I tell you, there is a way out for you. If you trust this, God, he's he's the classic driver in the car that says, if you want to live, come with me. Come with me if you want to live. I've got a way out. And he says this, if you don't do well, sin is crouching at the door. It's desires for you, but you must master it. Isn't that powerful? God says he could master this. You can master this sin. This is, this is the, these are first kids born into the curse and yet God is saying to them, sin doesn't have to control you. You can master this. Even in the old covenant, he says you can master this. Verse eight, Cain told Abel his brother and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and he killed him. You know, the rest Well, let's just read a little bit more. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And God said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now you're cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. You shall be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is too great to bear. Behold, you've driven me this day from the face of the ground, from my, your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth, and it shall come about that whoever finds me will kill me. You know, the thing is, is that Cain pronounced that curse over himself. God didn't say you have to be separate from me. Cain said that. God did not pronounce death over him, even though it was death he deserved. But what, what was supposed to be a blessing to Cain became a curse to Cain because he refused to walk in faith and instead walked in disobedience. So the very thing which was supposed to be a blessing to him, the ground. God, you know, we we look at this and say, well, maybe Cain should have done the same thing as Abel. Maybe he should have raised flocks. No, he was doing the right thing. (coughs) Somebody had to grow some vegetables. He's doing the right thing. He just did the wrong thing in his sacrifice. But now the thing that was supposed to be a blessing in his life because he refused to repent, even there, God asks the question, what have you done? Where's your brother? God knows the answers. What's he trying to do? He's trying to get to Cain's heart. But Cain refuses. Cain keeps backing up. Listen, I'm telling you here today, thank God there has already been a sacrifice for sin. But I ask the question of God because the book of Hebrews says that we are learning what is pleasing to God. And I want my life to be pleasing to him. I want my sacrifice to be pleasing to him. And I found out that not every sacrifice is pleasing to God because not every sacrifice that I offer is offered in faith. Sometimes I do things because I think it's a good idea. How many of you have done something that you thought it was a good idea and you just hoped that God would bless it later? I've done that. You know, I believe that God sees a good heart And there are things you did in faith. Now, listen, I'm not telling you to be so risk-averse that you are afraid to do anything because what if I do the wrong thing? Absolutely not. When you're walking in faith, you'll find that the fruit of your life is good. And there'll be things you do for God, and it'll take risk, and it'll take a chance. And even if you stumble and mess up a little bit, God says, that's good. That's okay. I'm just glad you did it. I don't want you to hear this today and be so petrified. What if my sacrifice is wrong? What if it's not right? Forget this. The question is, are we walking in faith? Is your ear open to God? Are we doing what we think is right or what he thinks is right? You know, the Bible says, and uh, it says it in more than one place, that God's not just looking for Sacrifices. David said that he says you sacrifice you're not looking for you're not pleased with it. He said if you were pleased with it I'd offer it to you, but what you're looking for is a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Does that mean David stopped giving sacrifices? No, he still did. But what he's saying is the point isn't the sacrifice. The point is the heart. That's what you're really after. He said you're not just pleased by the act. You're looking for the heart which is what Cain found out. God's not just looking for what you're doing. And let me tell you right now, thank God for what you're doing for the Lord. But if there's not the heart of faith behind it, you're burning yourself out. God's not looking for your action. He's looking for you. And you, when he has you, he'll get your action. When we think, let's just do, 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 and we're just trying to do enough for God. First of all, are we doing? Enough, are we trying to do it so that we can be accepted by God? Because if we're doing that, we're trying to, compensate for Jesus' sacrifice, and that's a failing. You can't do that, right? We should just say, I I know I'm his kid in whom he is well pleased. And if we're trying to do something for God to gain favor with him, then once again, we're trying to do what Jesus did. But if we're living a life of faith and say, I want to bless you, Lord. I want my life to be a blessing to you. I want my actions to be a blessing to you. I want my heart to be a blessing to you. Then you'll find yourself in the position where you have to ask, Lord, What do you want from me today? And the question we need to ask is, who are we doing it for? Are we doing this for ourselves? That might seem weird because who would sacrifice for themselves? But we do in a sense of self-righteousness to make ourselves feel better, to make ourselves feel worthy. God's not looking for that. He's not pleased by that. What if I did it for someone else? Like, you know, let me, let me sacrifice something so that people around me can see I'm sacrificing something. God's not pleased with that. You know, Cain offered a sacrifice that other people might have thought was really good, but God was not pleased with it. When someone's birthday comes up or Christmas comes up and you give them a gift, you have to ask yourself, who's the gift for? Now, maybe you've given a gift that was secretly for you. Honey, I bought you a motorcycle. What? You don't want to ride it that much? That's okay. I'll ride it. (laughs) These two are always trying to surprise me with stuff. Not all the time. Tia's changing. They're always trying to surprise me, and I'm like, I don't like surprises. I say, but yeah, yeah, but we're going to surprise you. You don't need to know what you're getting. And I I don't fight them as much anymore because I realize that I need to be more chill about stuff like that. But I say, guys, I get joy out of anticipation so just let me know now what I'm getting (laughs) and I've used this line and I admit it was manipulative but I've used this line isn't the gift for me don't you want me to be happy this is what makes me happy (laughs) and I I'm here to tell you it doesn't work if you're thinking about trying that doesn't work But we've all given a gift that was really more for us than for someone else. Maybe you have not I have. (laughs) Here, you like this. You don't? Well, we can use it together. Things like that. I've given Tia gifts, which was like, you know, a trip somewhere. And as much as she liked it, I liked it a lot more, I think. (laughs) Well, who are we giving it for? Are we giving it to God? Because if you're giving it to God, you've got to know what's pleasing to God. Faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. You know, what's interesting is it doesn't say that faith is what pleases God, even though faith does please God. Faith isn't the end of the story. It says without faith, it's impossible to please God. So it's not faith alone that's the pleasing part. It's what you do in faith and by faith that is pleasing to God. You can't please Him without it. Now, here's what He says in Hebrews 13. I want to read you something. Because it's so interesting that Hebrews is the, is the book that tells us stop trying to offer a sacrifice for sin. But then he tells us about sacrifice that God is looking for. And he says this, or she says this. We don't know who wrote this. You might have your opinions. I have mine. <laughs> he says this in verse 15. Hebrews 13, 15 says, through him then, who's Who's him? Jesus, through Jesus, through Jesus, every sacrifice goes through Jesus. What does it say in in Peter's letters? It says this, that we are part of a, a living building, living stones that make a building in which spiritual priests, so we're the stones and we're the priests. Offer sacrifices, we're also the sacrifices, and we make the sacrifices, made acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Here's the good news. As flawed as your efforts are, as, as, as childlike as they may be sometimes, and, and just like a little kid trying to learn to walk, you don't get mad at the kid for stumbling a bit. You don't get mad at the kid for not being perfect at it. You're just glad they're trying just in the same way, sometimes we bring things to God that we, we look back and we go, I can't believe I tried to offer that to the Lord. Oh, man, how flawed. How much I've matured since then. But what God was looking for was the heart behind it. And he says, it's made acceptable to me because of Jesus. I see your sacrifice through Jesus. Therefore, it is good. He says this, through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that gives thanks to his name. There's a sacrifice God's looking for. Your praise, your thanksgiving. Then he goes on and he says, and do not neglect doing good and sharing for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. So this isn't the exhaustive list of what pleases God, but we know this does please God. How do I know what pleases God? I ask him, God, what pleases you? I look, here's what he says. Praise me, I like that. Thank me, I like that. Share, I like that. Do good, I like that. And when I do it in faith, it's pleasing to God. If I'm doing it so that you think I'm a better believer, that doesn't please God. If I'm doing it to to assuage some sense of guilt I have, that doesn't please God. If I'm doing it to make myself feel better about myself, that doesn't please God. But if I do it out of faith and say, God, there's nothing I've got that would be worth anything if it weren't for you. But every good and perfect gift comes from you and it comes through me. So what I'm doing, I trust you that this is going to turn out good you're going to like what I'm doing. You remember the scripture in Ephesians that says this, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that he has prepared beforehand that we may walk in them. This is what's beautiful about that verse. I am created for something and something is created for me. And when those two things get together, good things happen. Everything good in your life, God's already set it up for you. Right. It's just like when you, 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 you know, downstairs, they're, they're helping the kids make nice things that they'll bring to their parents and say, look what I made. But somebody set them up for it. So much better when God does it. God has already seen your life. And he put things in front of you and says, this is what I want you to do. I made you for this and I made this for you. And here's what I'm asking. Faith starts with hearing. and Hearing the word of God. That's where faith comes. Hearing him. Hearing, him, hearing the word that we're reading today. Hearing his word by his spirit. When you inquire of the Lord, God, what do you want? Then faith comes because you know I'm doing what he wants me to do. Obedience and faith come from that, and he finds that pleasing. So here's what I'm asking you today, and this is where we'll 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 come to the landing. Who's your sacrifice for? If it's for him, why don't you go ahead and ask him? God, what do you want me to do? If we remove all of the other, in all of the other Reasons for doing something. Remove the the need to please other people. Remove the need to make yourself look better or feel better. Remove the need to cover up some sense of guilt or shame. And then just work from a pure place of knowing I'm already pleasing to God. So my work is not to make myself pleasing because I already am. My work is from a place of being pleasing to God. Everything Jesus did, he did from a place of already being pleasing to God. Isn't he our example? Jesus didn't do one thing, not one thing, to make himself righteous. He was already righteous. Jesus didn't have to do one thing to to get back God's pleasure. He already had it. Do you see what a man can do when he knows he's pleasing to God? What a woman could do when she knows she's pleasing to God? When you know you're pleasing to God, you know you're capable of doing things that are pleasing to God. When they're done in faith. And faith and obedience go hand in hand. What happened with Saul? Saul offered a sacrifice because he was afraid of people. People were waiting. People got nervous. He was trying to make everybody feel calm. The Lord had said, don't you dare offer anything until Samuel gets there. And don't you dare take any livestock from that place, anything from that place. Saul disobeyed both orders. Samuel the prophet comes up the mountain and says, what is this bleeding of sheep I hear in my ears? Saul said, well, the people got anxious. And we were offered a sacrifice to God. See, we, I make this. It's nice. Look what we did. And Samuel says, Saul, you're just trying to please people again. And he says, don't you know that God would rather have your obedience than these sacrifices? What's he saying? Stop trying to do stuff to make other people feel better. Stop trying to do stuff to make yourself feel better. And start saying, God, what do you want me to do? Because if Saul had asked that question, God would have been pleased. That sacrifice wasn't for God. That sacrifice was for the people. There's tons of stuff we do around this building that we're not doing for God. We're doing for each other. Now, listen, let me say something. We can do things for each other that's for God, right? The Bible says, don't live to please yourself, but live to please others. We're doing this in the reverence for Christ. So if I serve Audrey, I might say, well, I'm not supposed to do things for Audrey anymore. Yes, I am, but I'm doing it for Jesus because serving Audrey is serving Jesus. But if I'm doing something for Audrey because I secretly think Audrey thinks I'm lazy, So I'll do something for Audrey. Or I find out that Audrey doesn't really like her pastor anymore. She would never say that. That's why I picked Audrey. She secretly doesn't really like me anymore. She's thinking about going somewhere else or moving out of Lloyd. So what do I do? I do something nice for her to to gain her favor back. God's not pleased by that. That's manipulation. And instead, what I want to do is say, how can I bless the Lord by blessing these people? And let me tell you something. I've had to learn that in this position because when I get up and preach... It's easy to get up and preach and say, what will make people happy? What will be the best? Now, I want to make you happy. There's nothing wrong with you being happy. But if I get up and say, what's going to be the best sermon that will get people real excited? What will people say, boy, that was a good message? Then I've already lost. If I get up and say, God, I want to please you today. Then listen, me pleasing God will do something in in people. Because God loves you. But that's my goal. That's my heart. You're looking for a sacrifice that pleases God? It's through faith. It's through faith and obedience where you say, God, what do you want? Just take time to listen. Take time to listen. And you know what? Can I just say this? When you take time to listen, don't leave until you hear something, even a little something. And if all you hear from God is go to Safeway. (laughs) Just go to Safeway. And then get to Safeway and say, okay, what now? Buy some grapes. Okay, I'll go buy some grapes. <laughs> go on these little weird little missions and just see what he does. Sometimes he's just pleased by you saying yes. More listening. Sometimes more listening. Sometimes to reset the, bu- the, reset the whole thing, we need to do a little bit less doing and a little bit more listening until we can hear and then do. Don't stop doing good things, but let it come from that place where you're being obedient and faithful to God. And God will bless that sacrifice. Fire will fall on that sacrifice. That sacrifice will open the door to God's blessing in your life. Just like giving God the water you had opens the heavens so that water may rain down on the land. Just like giving the last little flower and oil that the old widow had, or the young widow had, and she gave to the prophet opened a door to all the oil she could fit in the containers. If you'll give God what you have now. We all have dreams. Someday I'm going to be able to fund missions all over the world. Someday I'm going to go to preach the thousands. If you'll give God what you have right now. That'll open the door to all the other stuff. Just hear and do. And do it by faith. Amen. Stand up with me. Let's bless the Lord.